We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jess, you're a little bit under the weather tonight, so are you ready for rapid fire? I am ready for some rapid fire. All right. Let's start with this one. we got a question that will plop in. We kind of touched on this at the start of the show. If you weren't with us at the start, David asks, any news on the O-line coaching candidates that are interviewing? All we can say right now is there are some interviewing, and I know that there is uh, some uh, some pretty good interest in at least one of them. We're not you know, we're not uh, able to to talk about any names right now, but that process is going on. And hopefully we're going to be able to talk about a name or two within the next day or two. So just hold on with that and we'll see where that goes. We know more. We know more right now. We, know, we, we at least know more than we knew yesterday. Let's put it that way. All right, Jess. So we've got more of the Jared Parker comments some of his audio in rapid fire, including he was asked about clarifying his role as a play caller and his duties as a play caller at West Virginia, because there's been talk about, you know, were you stripped of play calling duties and all that kind of stuff. So here's Jared Parker kind of explaining that. Very honest picture and due respect by all parties involved. That's about all I would put with it, is that um, a very clear message was put across when I took the job that I would run unit meetings and do a lot of things. I was involved in every uh, facet of, uh, of building an offensive game plan, controlling the players over there in unit meetings and all those things, and that was clearly portrayed. During that time, I was offered by Coach Brown an opportunity to be able to call plays at different times during year one. Um, and those would be different moments of red zone in different areas. When my number was called, be prepared. When it wasn't, serve the head coach and serve our offense. That was done. Year two at a certain time at that point, things changed um, for a multitude of reasons. When my number was called, I was prepared to call those games and called them um, in entirety. So at that point, that's when things maybe changed to a full scope of calling complete games. And again, the details of that I don't think are fair to to, to anything moving forward. But I was tremendously grateful for that opportunity. It prepared me for what this one's going to be. And um, that's that's really about all I would say to it. Thank you. So what did you hear there, Jesse? Did, did it sound like he was made some promises that basically weren't kept? Did it sound like that to you? 
Yeah, it, it, in to, I thought he gave a very diplomatic response in saying very diplomatic <laughs> that you know he was under the impression or maybe promised one thing and it was you know followed through to a certain extent and I don't think it was the extent that he was anticipating. Yeah, um, and and it just felt like it just felt like that that there was a lot of different kind of you know cooks in the kitchen and they couldn't really all get on the same page of who was going to be calling what or what was best for, you know, the entirety of the offense. And so honestly, it just found it kind of felt like a hodgepodge of different guys kind of maybe doing different things. You know, maybe one week a guy was a play caller and then the next week he, he wasn't. And I think that right. again, that it, it, it didn't sound like it was too fair to someone like Jared Parker because of what he was guaranteed going into the situation. And, and calling someone else's offense to begin with, and then kind of getting yanked. It just seems like, micromanaged in all the wrong ways is is what it seems like and you know like you said i thought that was as diplomatic an offense or a, as diplomatic a response to his role in whatever role that was in the offense as you as you could get you know i i he didn't he didn't throw anybody under the bus and he said it as nicely as he could and you know like he said at the end thank you let's move on basically <laughs> So, all right. Um, a lot of other stuff, quarterback stuff that I want to uh, to get to now, beginning with Sam Hartman. And as the new offensive coordinator, Sam Hartman has only been on campus for what, maybe a month or so, I guess, going on a month and a half or something like that at this point. He was brought in when Tommy Reese was the offensive coordinator. Tommy is gone now, and now he's got a new offensive coordinator. So what kind of a priority was it for Jared Parker to make an early connection with Sam or yeah, Sam Hartman? All of them. It, it's they're all critical because now you're not building relationships with eight guys in the tight end room. You're you're building relationships with an entire offensive unit. Um, I understand the question about Sam because of the nature of him coming here and him getting here, and it was it was a big news. But he is driven by ball um, and and driven to get better and come here to have what he wants to have success here at Notre Dame. So. There's been communication with all of them, um, but especially with him to obviously sit down and, and talk to him about the direction of the offense to maybe ease some anxieties because with change comes a lot of thoughts and things that you want to uh, get addressed. So we've addressed it with the entire offensive unit, um, the staff, and we'll continue to to give our guys confidence and let them know that the direction is to, to move forward, as Coach Freeman says. He's driven by ball. So what do you think of the, you know, the importance of connecting with Hartman specifically under these circumstances? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I, I think there's two big aspects that come with this is one, obviously the, the quarterback is the most important position that you got to be on the same page with as an offensive coordinator. He's he's basically your extension on the field. He's the commander. He runs the offense. All things that go through, you know, go on in your head have to be able to be communicated to your quarterback. So like he said, you know, he goes from commanding eight men to having to command an entire offensive unit. But of that offensive unit, his connection has to be best with Sam Hartman. They have to be on the same page no matter what. And I think the thing that had to be reiterated to Sam Hartman is, you know, Sam Hartman didn't come here, or I should say Sam Hartman came here, I think, specifically because of what Marcus Freeman talked about early on in his press conferences. They want Notre Dame to run pro offenses and defenses so they can transition into the NFL right better at a better rate and, and more quickly. And that's the number one reason why Sam Hartman transferred here is because he wanted to be in an offense that was more pro style and could improve, honestly, improve his draft stock and show a lot of NFL teams that he can run an NFL style offense. And so whether that's Tommy Reese's pro style plays, whether that's Jared Parker's pro style plays, whether that's I, I think that's the window dressing and everything. I think overall what the most important thing that sold Sam Hartman is he gets to come to a talented team. He gets to come to a talent, you know, a, a, a program like Notre Dame and bigger essentially stage, bigger platform. Right. And the backbone of all of it was that he was going to run a pro style offense. So as long yeah. as those words were conveyed pro style, I think that calmed any nerves that Sam Hartman might have had. Sure. Was it, you know, was it was it probably, you know, better for Sam Hartman to, to be with Tommy Reese? And because that was, you know, what was pitched to him during the, the transfer portal process. Sure. But. I don't think that much changes just because Jared Parker is now the play caller and the play designer, because again, they're going to be running pro style offenses. And that, that was the, the thing that needed to be, you know, the common denominator throughout the whole yeah. process. And that's, that's the key for Sam Hartman, you know, is what kind of offense he is going to be. in. he's not going to be in that slow mesh like he was in at Wake Forest. He wouldn't still be in college if they were running a different kind of offense at Wake Forest. He probably would have declared, for the NFL, he would probably have more, you know, there's, there's not going to be, you know, NFL teams running that Wake Forest slow mesh. That's, that's the attractiveness of running a pro style offense. And they are going to have that same pro style offense. Like you said, I think that's big. The relationship, you know, that he had already built with Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker, he touched on it a couple of times in his press conference yesterday. And you hear things that, that guys say he like, he's, he's, He's very big, you know, just right there with Marcus Freeman, very big on the relationship-driven part of the process as well. So I'm sure, you know, that he will be really connected with, uh, you know, with Jared Parker as his uh, his offensive coordinator, as well as Gino Gadouli. 
Gadouli. I keep I keep having to say it as an attack, you know, as I'm as I'm a paisano, as uh, Joe Pepitito would say, Gadouli. Uh, you know, when when Gino Gadouli gets here, there, there'll be a great connection there as well. Now, Parker was also asked, you know, not just about that connection with Hartman, but the strengths of both Tyler Buckner and Sam Hartman, and you know how those kind of differing skill sets, you know, how, how he operates with that. It's our job to know what their skills are and make them better, um, but not get away from something that maybe it's not what that what fits them. So it's going to be our job to tailor this thing around in a pro-style form, as Coach Freeman said, but we're going to do what our players can do best and then find ways to enhance. So, yes, some of, some of them, there's some certain differences in the two, so it's our job to play off those differences of who it may be with Sam and the same thing of Tyler, just as we did in the bowl game. Um, we want to do what our guys are good at and then get better at doing them. Scale of one to 10, Jesse, how much do you like the answer? Uh, I, I think for, you know, as much as he could say without quote unquote creating a, a quarterback controversy, you know, it's, it's pretty up there in a nine out of 10. And it's what I've kind of talked about in the past is I don't think just because Sam Hartman is here, you know, Tyler Buckner's just done for. I think, that again, we can see personnel packages maybe within the red zone that involve Tyler Buckner because of what he can do with his legs and the fact mm-hmm. that teams have to account for another aspect of the, you know, uh, of a, a, a basically a, a, what what you could classify as like a triple option because you can hand it off, you can keep it as a quarterback, or you can pass it. And so when you have to make teams account for one more thing, especially down in the red zone, it just causes a little bit more confusion. So I do think that Parker kind of hinted at that, you know, that there's there's going to be maybe you know, personnel packages that they maybe they use, you know, Hartman from 20 to 20 yard line to, to 20 yard line or 20 yard line to 30 yard line. And in certain instances, maybe short down situations or like I said, red zone, you see a little bit more Buckner on the field. So I think it's great if, if he sticks through or sticks to or follows through kind of with that statement, because I think that both guys can definitely play this year and provide an impact and help enhance Notre Dame's overall game as an offensive unit. Yeah, I love it. It's at least a nine for me, I think. And I, I just, I like hearing the sort of reaffirmation, you know, throughout the press conference about playing to the strengths of the personnel, because that was something that I always felt was a time, you know, an, an asset, something Tommy Reese did well. I wasn't as convinced about that all the time last year, you know, with, with some of the personnel packages and stuff that he would fall back on. Um, so I re- you know, just a- along the lines of what you're saying, you do have two guys with different skill sets. I do think there's a way to keep Tyler Buckner involved in this offense with the unique skill set that he has. And I think we're going to see that with a lot of other position groups as well. So I was, I was, I, I really liked the response to that. Uh, Jeff says, Sean and Son, Mr. Wart, Whiteboard, all I want to know is if we'll actually see more two-back sets from what you take from his comments. I mean, if he if he follows through with his comments of talking about, you know, again, I thought that he emphasized a lot of what they're good at is their offensive line, tight ends, and two-backs, and talking about enhancing those things and allowing the game to kind of open up on the perimeter outside of those things. I think that that only points to that they'll use more two-backs and the combinations that come off of it with their tight ends and getting maybe their their two backs involved on the perimeter as wide receivers, as extension of the run game, whatever it might be. I think that he was only alluding to, you know, we have really good running backs. So how can we enhance that even more? Right. So 
if we can only go off of his words, I would say yes, that I would expect a lot more two-back sets. I don't know how you don't have the three-backs that you had last year and then bring Jadarian Price back from the injury and have four guys who all, you know, they can all catch footballs. They can all work out of the backfield. Again, like I would have Chris Tyree on the field a lot because of all the as versatile and as fast as versatile as he is and as fast as he is and the the things that you're talking about with the mismatches you can cause and you know personnel you know taking advantage of mismatches and all that stuff Tyree is a mismatch nightmare to me and the fact that he wasn't used more as kind of a you know Swiss army knife in in the offense last year I, I think that you know it's really disappointing and hopefully we're able to see more of that this year. The other three, I think, you know, Tyree can run out of the backfield as well, but the other three can all be more, you know, pure out of the backfield, but you can move Tyree around to just about anywhere you want. Listen, I, I, I'm just going to be point blank honest. I feel like Notre Dame should exploit linebacker matchups with their running backs all day long yes. until they until they can. teams can prove that they can stop it. Right. That's the only reason you should start going away from it. And I would – you know, yeah, you'll get into games where like Clemson, USC, Ohio State, where where the speed and athleticism gap will be bridged. But I would still make those teams follow through that they can guard your guys one on one because once you start doing that, it's easy to to do an out and up, right? Or like a wheel up the sideline or just minor alterations where you're showing one thing on film and they're committing to it, and then you just get one extra step on them, and now you're busted up the sideline. So I just think that Notre Dame needs to make teams prove that they can that they can stop what they do best, and that's involving their running backs in the run and pass game. Concur. So finally, one more comment from Jared Parker, quarterback involvement. He's a non-quarterback offense, you know, a non-quarterback coach offensive coordinator. So what is Parker's role with the quarterbacks going to be? And how I've already thought about it will be like anything that is uh, technician-based, we're going to have a pro that's going to do that part. My part will be to make sure we have unit meetings, um, to watch past phases of our offense and different things, to make sure we're seeing the whole scope together through the same lens. And more importantly, let those guys feel my confidence in what we want to call because they also love it. So I think just tying it all together as a group so we're speaking the same language. Um, in the future, when we're able to announce officially our quarterback's coach, I don't want to be able to walk in and say something different than what he's saying. If we're not on the same page, speaking the same language, and we have an issue, and that won't be that will not be something we'll want to do. So just being able to speak the same language, how do you do that? You got to be able to communicate in the same room a lot of times. So we'll find ways to cheat that time together if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. Basically, the head coach of the offense is what he's saying. The quarterback coach is going to coach the quarterbacks. Gino Gadouli will have that role, and you know. Parker is going to be there to run the offense, but he's not going to, you know, doesn't want to say something different than what the quarterback coach is saying. And you know, like, Jesse, have you had coaches who've micromanaged too much and maybe caused more, you know, unneeded confusion than necessary as a result? Yeah. My linebackers coach in, in college was just a guy who, who felt like before he transitioned to being the, the full-time defensive coordinator, he just felt like a guy that would sit up all night, watch film, and just try to devise the perfect thing. And it was just information overload at times. And it's like, 
why not, you know, rather than micromanage this whole situation and find some things that we're good at. Like I remember one time we were trying to install like six or seven blitz packages in one practice and we could barely, you know, get the hang of like one or two. And it just felt like we were way kind of too, you know, micromanaged in that aspect of you need to execute this play, you know, at this perfect timing and, you know, da, 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 da. And it's like, if that's the case, then why are we, you know, why are we running this if it has to be executed, you know, just perfectly um, every time. But going into the stuff that Jared Parker was talking about, I think that he made a, a perfect analogy of, you know, you don't, he, he's not a quarterback's coach. So why would he be giving information on the mechanics or the tech, you know, the technician side of being a quarterback? Like he wouldn't walk right. into the room and tell the quarterback how to ro- throw the ball, how to release the ball, you know, whatever. Cause that's outside of, you know, what his realm. But what he would do is talk to the quarterback's coach and the quarterback about, you know, overall coverage, what they're looking at or, you know, what what he needs to do if he sees this or that and that kind of thing. So I think being on that 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 page of, you know, I'm not going to micromanage, you know, the details of how, you know, our quarterback throws the ball or timing or anything like that. But at the same time, we need to be on the same page of what we're looking at of, you know, to get out of this play or what we're identifying as the weakness, you know, for whatever is being shown to them. So I really like that actually. Yeah, me too. Like it, like it quite a bit. And, you know, I, I, you know, again, I think there's a lot of excitement that, you know, listening to Jared Parker yesterday, there's no doubt he had a great press conference. We just got to see all of this stuff put in motion now. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Some really interesting news that Pete Thamel uh, from ESPN had today. According to his sources, LSU special teams coordinator Brian Polian is transitioning to an off-field role at LSU where he's going to help manage the roster, NIL, and the transfer portal in a general manager type role. With that move, LSU is searching for a new special teams coach. All of this, Jesse, is blank. It's hysterical, in my opinion, and I think it only proves kind of this undying loyalty that Brian Kelly has to Polian because, you know, he brought Polian along with him to or the, maybe the undying loyalty that they have to each other, you know, and I'm not trying to speak badly of, of Mr. Of Mr. Kelly, but I heard he's going through some things in his marriage, too. Maybe him and, and Mr. Polian could, you know, get get together. I don't know. No, it's a no, joke. No, no, no. But interesting. Interesting enough. I, I just think that, it, you know. Brian Kelly kind of created this position for Brian Pullian. It, it found a way for him to kind of still be involved in the program. Uh, but overall, uh, it's just it's just funny to me because Brian Pullian has never proven himself as being an elite coach, yet he's always kind of hanging around uh, Brian Kelly's circle. Yeah, I mean, it's do, do you think that Brian Kelly, after getting down there this year, and then he looked back up to the north, you know, if he was paying attention and he saw, you know, how – Notre Dame's special teams skyrocketed in stature after one year under Brian Mason. And here's Brian Mason, you know, winning awards and, and doing all this stuff. And in the meantime, you know, LSU loses to Florida State because of a special, a couple special teams play in the season opener last year. And they were obviously very unspectacular. And, and all these excuses we heard about special teams when those guys were up here together, they all seem to evaporate in a very short amount of time. When after Brian Mason took over, I wonder how much that played into it. But I think it's very interesting. You know, I think that I think that that Polian you know, he comes from basically football royalty family. Bill Polian, who helped shape the Buffalo Bills 
AFC dynasty of the late 80s and early 90s with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid and Cornelius, but, you know, all that whole crew in Buffalo, you know, and then he drafted Peyton Manning and he hired Tony Dungy in Indianapolis and did all, he got the Carolina Panthers to a sewer, you know, that's, that's where Brian Polian came from. So he's got a great background. He's got, I'm sure, you know, he seemed like a very good organizational type person and probably at a place like LSU, a person like him might just be better suited for that role. And they move on, find themselves a new special teams coordinator. And, you know, again, vast upgrade in what Notre Dame got in that position this year in just one short year with the same people, basically. And that's true, too, Anthony. His dad, Bill, has forgotten more than Brian ever learned. But I do th- I do still think that that Brian Polian, you know, has a has a has a sharp has a sharp mind. His dad, ultra sharp. So there's this big topic kicking around college football right now. They're looking at some possible changes to clock clock operations to cut down on the growing length of time of games. The two biggest proposals are keeping the clock running after first downs, except for when there is less than two minutes to go and a half. And the other is to run the clock as soon as the ball is spotted after an incomplete pass. So first, let me ask you this. Do you think college football games are too long? I do think that college football games are too long, especially being, you know, I'm a fan of college and NFL. So when I go from college on Saturday to NFL on Sunday, it's like NFL on Sunday is at warp speed. It feels like, you know, you you know you're going to get done in X amount of time. There's really not a lot of deviation from that. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are clamoring about, well, why not cut down on commercials and, you know, ads and all that stuff and TV timeouts. And it's like, I get that, but it's never going to happen. That's what drives the business. Those things are never going to be. That's how these conferences and Notre Dame and, you know, whoever gets these, you know, big TV contracts is because of advertising. Advertising is not going away. And by the way, those are annoying, but it's just going to be a part of it. And according to Sports Illustrated, you know, this the, the source they had. TV commercials don't have a very big impact. Games not televised, according to their data, only finished about two minutes sooner than a game that is not being televised. We're t- and we're talking about FBS games. We're not we're not comparing like D two to FBS and and that kind of stuff. Right. And then another thing I saw was well, why not cut you know the the band performances at halftime? And it's like I don't really get along or agree with that either because to me a big tradition of college football uh, especially in rivalry games and you know games of high kind of magnitude is I've I've always enjoyed the bands at halftime and you know there's there's students that go to school specifically to be in the marching bands and and that kind of stuff so I'm not really on board with cutting the band performances but I do buy the idea of rolling the clock after first downs and at the same time I sell the idea of rolling the clock after incompletion. So I buy half of that, but I don't, I don't like the idea. They don't even do that in the NFL. I think it's kind of stupid. You know, what's the purpose of spiking the ball at that point then? Because you're just going to roll the clock after it's spotted. From what I understand, you know, one, the average length of an FBS game has gone from three hours and 16 minutes five years ago to three hours and 21 minutes. So it's grown by about five minutes. The average NFL game length, is three hours and 10 minutes, which even that, you know, basically since, since replay, that's, that's probably added about five to 10 minutes to both college and the NFL. The bigger thing apparently 
NFL games average 155 plays per game. FBS football games average 180 plays per game. And one big reason that they're looking at it's it's not just you know game length, but it is the amount of plays that college football gets in in the course of a game. Because I guess, you know, again, looking at this data, they're trying to decrease with the college football playoff getting ready to expand to, you know, to 12 teams here the year after next, what they're trying to do by adding four rounds of playoff games, some teams are going to be playing 16 or 17 games over the course of the season. So the data says, and they've done some experimentation with this, I guess, running the clock after first downs would eliminate around nine plays per game. And then running the clock after the incomplete passes, which as you said, they don't even do in the NFL, that would eliminate around 15 plays per game if they did that. So you're talking about close to 25 plays per game that you're cutting down. You're getting closer to what the NFL is running now, you know, right now. But over bigger picture, over the course of a full 12-game schedule, you're going to eliminate a little bit more than a full game's worth of plays, you know, in terms of wear and tear and, you know, physical contact and all that kind of stuff. And apparently, you know, this is like come from the ACC and Jim Phillips. This is, you know, kind of what it is. You know, that's why apparently they're, they're bigger picture, why they're trying to cut down on this to eliminate plays, not necessarily time. But Joseph, I, I completely disagree. How, how is a three and a half hour football game not too long when, when NFL can get done in closer to three hours? I think it is way too long. I, I think it is. I mean, ask, ask any fan, you know, this is, a common gripe that you hear from fans sitting at Notre Dame Stadium is the length of those home games. And it's gotten a little bit better because of the fact that you have that big video screen out there. So it at least, you know, distracts you a little bit. But those those TV timeouts, you know, they are there and they do take forever. And, you know, and everyone's got TV timeouts and they're not going away. I, I, I think I think. Instant replay, there's too much instant replay in college football. That's something, you know, that I would cut back on. I'm not sure about the whole stopping the clock after incomplete passes. I agree with what you're saying about first downs. I think you can easily keep it running there and just change the replay system. Change the replay system so that you're not potentially reviewing every play. You know, like a coach wouldn't even challenge some of these plays that they're stopping the, you know, the game to look at. And then they take forever to take a look at them. That is something that I would look at before I would think about probably, you know, stopping the, you know, keeping the clock running after an incomplete pass. Yeah. I agree with both of those. But you do, you, you do agree that college, I think you said it off the top college football games are too long. Yeah. It just, they are too long. And especially when you're trying to watch like multiple in one day, like, you know, you could potentially get into two, three games per day and then, you know, a cumulative, you know, spent like maybe 12 hours watching could be, you know, knocked down to, to nine hours. So, again, I, I do like it just in the fact of, you know, is, is, it, is it easier to say when you're only, you know, watching one team per week? Sure. But when you're watching a multitude of games, it's like I, I just feel like they do go on a little bit too long and there are ways, you know, are things that could be done at a reasonable level to kind of, you know, speed things up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always thought that 
again with with the amount of instant replay that they have and i i agree with what anthony's you know just limit replay to coaches challenges go to a go to an actual coaches challenge system it shouldn't be that hard because if you have tv then you know you just like in the nfl every team can have a coach in the booth looking at the at the monitor to say hey we need to challenge this or not it it shouldn't be that hard it it shouldn't it shouldn't be as overreaching as it is i think that that would help things out quite a bit cut back on that you know after the first down keep the clock running that's it it's i, I don't know what else you're going to do because they're probably not going to shorten the length of halftime like you said because there's so much going on at a college football game when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Okay, fill in the blank. It's blank that New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones is reportedly looking for $45 million a year in his next contract. It's ludicrous that Daniel Jones is asking for $45 million a year. And you start to go look at you know some of the top quarterback salaries in the NFL um, Aaron Rodgers, 50, 50 million per year. Russell Wilson, 49 million per year. Kyler Murray, 46 million per year. Watson, 46 million per year. And Patrick Mahomes at 45 million per year. So 45 million per year is what the MVP, two time Super Bowl, two time Super Bowl MVP gets. And then there's Daniel Jones. I just think that you can request that kind of money when you're a top tier quarterback in the NFL. And unfortunately, Daniel Jones isn't a top tier quarterback in the NFL. And I think, you know, I understand guys got to get their money and, you know, you can, you can get money based on what the market is set at and the market set at 50 million right now, but that's the top quarterbacks in the league. And I just, again, I don't think he's a top tier quarterback and I think he needs the giants more than the giants need him. And so exactly. that work out in his favor. And ultimately, you know, I, I just think that, um, he's going to get franchise tagged. It's going to be him or Barkley. And I think a quarterback is more important than a running back. And I think that he's going to end up getting the franchise tag when, when it's all said and done. Yeah. I think that it, when, when Brian Dable took over the New York giants, the question was, what are they going to do with Daniel Jones? Are they going to keep him? You know, what's, what's going to be the plan for him? You know, they, they, 
they may do. I mean, just just look at Brock Purdy in San Francisco. If the 49ers can do that with him and Brian Dable can do what he just did with Daniel Jones, I think Dable, you know, it's like just draft a rookie quarterback and and start all over if if you're Dable. I, I think you'll be just fine, you know, like I, there's no reason to overpay Daniel Jones. There's absolutely no reason. And I agree with what you're saying. You know, you give Saquon Barkley the contract. Now you've got to, you're rolling the dice a little bit with that because of his injury history and all, but there, there's no reason to overpay Daniel Jones because they still have a lot of roster needs. They need to address that. You know, they're, they're linebackers, they're wide receivers, you know, they've got it all over. There, there's no reason to overpay the quarterback and then put yourself in a hole and not be able, you know, to to pay other guys as they're coming up. I would I would just start over with, with a young quarterback that you can mold, and that's the direction I would go. You know, and I, I, I'm pretty sure him and Eli have a good, you know, standing relationship. And if I were Eli, I would just say, hey, you know, don't, don't, you don't, you, you're not, you're not the Patrick Mahomes of the league. Not you who know, you think you are. Take a little pay cut and allow the organization to give you better, you know, options around you. And then potentially you have even some better years. And then maybe you can ask, you know, for, for more money down the line. But for Daniel Jones, I just don't think it makes sense to request kind of top tier money. I think I'd be okay with an average contract that allows more money to open up around him to give him more weapons and allow the yep. offense just overall to be better. Keep your job. That's right. Fill in the blank. Charles Barkley saying on TNT during the NBA's All-Star Game in Salt Lake City, quote, these people are going to heaven. Ain't nothing to do in this boring bleep city. It's a great city, but there ain't nothing to do. Can't smoke, can't drink. These people are going to heaven, end quote. And that's blank. It is on par with Charles Barkley. You know, he's there's some famous quotes along the lines of, you know, like he loves the women, you know, down at air. You're talking about women in San Antonio and like he's just on par with a lot of these one liners. And I thought it was, you know, hilarious before the game, too. He was talking. Shaq was talking about, you know, Charles Barkley and, and stuff. And, you know, it is it is the honest truth. You know, it's like Salt Lake City is largely a Mormon population and under, you know, the, the Mormon you know, I guess you could say beliefs is you, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't, you know, do all these certain things. And so, yeah, it's, there is really nothing to do and you can't have any fun outside of that. So it is a boring city. And I, those, those people do deserve to go to heaven for not, not being the sinners. I completely agree. And I mean, leave it to Charles Barkley on national TV for the all-star game to call out Salt Lake city and, you know, all the, uh, the sins that apparently it, it, it's the uh, it's the anti sin city, I guess, is what it all comes down to. I, I thought it was hilarious when I, when I saw this. I, I I didn't actually watch the game. Did you even did you watch any of the All Star game by any chance, Jeff? I just watched the first quarter and then I yeah was done with it. It sounded ridiculous just seeing some of the highlights yesterday. Just it's just the NBA has a problem. I get the I get the players aspect because I feel like basketball is one of those sports where it's easy to tear an ACL or you know something coming down from a landing. Yeah. But you got to do something to incentivize that game or just not have the game at all. Like make it so the winner gets home court advantage in the finals or you know something. There's got to be maybe instead you do like 2v2 half court or you know one on one three dribble half court type stuff like there's just got to be something. If they don't want to play a full game, there's got to be something to 
display their talents or just not have the game in general because everyone's just going to gripe about it every year. I mean, it's where the NFL is right now, right, after getting rid of it. And the NBA's already had their skills competition, and they've added to that with with the, you know, the skills challenge and the three-man teams and all that stuff to go along with the slam dunk and, and the three-point shooting contest. And it's it, it almost seems like they're they're probably running down that line where they're where they're just going to gear it around that and you know play play a celebrity game and and go with it. It took forever, I guess, for them to draft teams before that. Yeah, that also. So yeah, they they advertised it to start at seven thirty, and the, they didn't start until like eight thirty because it took an hour to almost draft the players, and there was like a mini concert, and then the players were warming up, and it was it was a very drawn out. Um, this is probably out. what they should do. Just play against the Harlem Globe. That would be entertaining to watch. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Jess, glad you could break out the whiteboard. I think you made everybody happy or a lot of people happy with that tonight. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I could make everyone happy on my, my day of sickness. Well, hopefully you're feeling better soon. Did you go to that outdoor hockey game? Derek is commenting about that. Uh, was that the hot? No, I didn't go to that. It was Ohio State versus Michigan on uh, within First Energy Stadium. Had the option to go, but uh, I didn't go. That's gonna be like the first of multiple games inside of First Energy Stadium. This they're gonna be playing a minor league hockey game inside of the stadium. That's um, right. And I think there might be another one outside of that, but I did not go. But a lot of people said it was a good time. All right. All right. We'll hit the like button on your way out to help out Irish Breakdown. Great stuff tonight. Good uh, good feedback from all of our listeners and viewers. As always, hit the like button, subscribe, rate, and review, and leave us a comment on uh, your podcast platforms as well. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Hope you're feeling better, Jesse. Ivy Nation Sports Talk. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.